Welcome to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. Your hosts are Alex Pachuk and John Massey. We have conversations with folks throughout the tech industry to get real-world perspective on how people make things happen for their careers and businesses. Check out pragmatically.com for more content just like this. All right, man. Cool. So what's up? Yeah, Alex. I'm feeling great, man. I feel like I'm on fire this week. It's been a really good week. Really excited about the next few months. I think we got some cool stuff going on. It's getting warmer here on the East Coast for us, so it's uh, yeah, warming yeah. up. That's right. Yeah, we can feel it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So dealing with my like, I've had uh, well, you know, I've got the, I've had these these puppies now, and uh, we got them like we started with the puppies like right at the end of like the winter. The ground was frozen and stuff, so trying to like walk a puppy outside, it's very precarious. So yeah, it's it's definitely a lot better now that it's warmer. Now we have grass. It's still a little soggy yet, but now it's allergy season. That's obviously yeah. fun. But yeah, you have also, one, you have one sitting on your lap. I do. Oh. Yeah, I do. He disappeared. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll probably reappear in a second. He's like, yeah, you got you got two puppies. I got one kitten. So it was a bit busy. Oh, how's the busy, yeah, busy winter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now we have like the COVID pet thing happening. You know, so all of like the owners are home with their pets and the pets, like once the owners have to go back to the office, right? That's something actually something. We're exactly. We'll I don't know if a cat reality. though. Cats are usually yeah, more. I think she'll be happy. She's like, yeah, <laughs> she's like, please. No, she likes to play. So yeah, she's, she's a very active cat. Uh, do you get bit a lot by kittens, by the way? Curious. No, no, no? but she likes to play. So sometimes she can be it's just, uh, you get scratchy. competitive. Yeah. Puppies bite a lot. They bite your face, they bite your nose, they bite your ears. So you gotta be careful. Cool, man. So it's also uh, GraphQL Summit season. Ooh, I've heard about GraphQL Summit in the past. Uh, well, this time I I didn't attend for some reason. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to um, to hear about some of the um, new stuff that's coming out of GraphQL. I, I think Apollo organizes that, right? So it's uh, one of the leading agencies or companies that works in the GraphQL space. So you you gave a talk recently on, on GraphQL. So yeah, let's go through that. I know they published the talk on their website, so anyone can go and check it out later. So I guess we're not just gonna repeat what you already presented, but it's more of a kind of conversational yeah. Yeah, format to kind of go through some some of the stuff that you presented. Yeah, I think um, you know, we'll just kind of run through. I talk a lot about you know what we're doing at Priceline. So this is just a, we'll just keep it like informal. And yeah, when they publish all this stuff, we'll let, you know, folks kind of look at that talk there. But I figured you and I, you know, when, you know, we're talking about graph and stuff, we want to do this like an informal kind of like retro over the event. What are people doing? What's, what are the common themes? Like, you know, when you go to an event, there's like a, usually a theme. I remember, what was it like? Five, eight years ago, it was use AngularJS was the theme. It's like everyone walked away like a zombie. He's like, use Angular. <laughs> and then we go back and they're like, use ReactJS. We all walked away like, oh, use React. Stop using Angular. Yeah. I mean, Angular's yeah. good now, but uh, that's you know, how it goes. You remember those days. Mm-hmm. So there was like an underlying message at the summit this year. So what was cool, and Apollo's definitely up to a lot of really cool things. And if you have an opportunity to work with Apollo in, the, in an enterprise fashion, I would, um, I mean, I count, I would count yourself kind of like really fortunate because it's, I don't know, like, I don't know about you, Alex, but GraphQL, people like really passionate about GraphQL, I don't find a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's novelty, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a very different type of concept. So it's not a language. It's not a runtime. It's not a server. So it's kind of like a very vague, fluffy thing that you can define however you want. So maybe that's why people are passionate. And it kind of helps. I feel like it helps front-end UI engineers the most. And they mm-hmm. kind of tend to be more passionate about things. And they're like, oh, now we can own the server. And now we can define our own schema and API. So like, why don't we do that? And there's a debate like, oh, it's a API engineer's responsibility. Well, maybe not. So it's a it's an interesting conversation piece. And people can define it in either way. So I feel like there's a lot of room for excitement. 
Uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, when, when I first saw GraphQL and when it was first open sourced, I, I was like, this isn't completely enabling for me. Like, and now when I was thinking about, when I was looking at, looking at the presentation, I was thinking about all the boilerplate network stuff I used to have to scaffold up, all these JSON payloads that are coming into my application, I have to grok and reshape so I can actually paint a thing on the page. And then all the API migrations I went through. And like seeing what GraphQL was offering and that every field within the schema could be fetched asynchronously and from any resource with, I mean, it could be an appliance, like a database, or it could be a RESTful endpoint. It could be, I th- uh, one of uh, a, a, an engineer I know did a talk on GraphQL and did a presentation on doing GraphQL over Carrier Pigeon, which I thought was pretty, pretty funny. But that's the point, right? Is like a lot of like, but then... There's a lot more, what I find is the majority of folks with GraphQL, they're just not on board at all with it. Not like not even a little bit. They get, we get stuck on HTTP protocol. We get stuck on like, oh, can't I use query string parameters in my RESTful endpoint? Could I like, and it's like, so I've, I've noticed that, you know, I don't think the majority of people understand the enablement that GraphQL can provide. And I think largely because of the points that you made is like, who owns it? Who gets involved with it? What can you connect to it? But there's things that more more recently have been felt more obvious for people like uh, gRPC, which a lot of folks like, oh, hey, performance matters, right? Let's use that. When like GraphQL is like, well, we're not too sure about performance. Like how does caching work? And, you know, and I lose a lot of like my native appliances that the like strategies that I used to employ. So, so I agree with you. And that's actually... And aside from the really cool features, like if you're into what's called GraphQL Federation, right? So, right, Alex, there's like a lot, like a couple of flavors of GraphQL implementations right now, right? Mm-hmm. You have like, you have the monolith, which, okay, I have one GraphQL API that connects to anything my front end ever cares about, right? So single point of failure, all good. What else can you do? Schema stitching, right? So even though Apollo dropped that, they actually, it still lives on under another group called the Guild. So if you check out the Guild, they, they're actually main maintainers of really cool projects like CodeGen. So if you're mm-hmm. looking to go from your like GraphQL schema to TypeScript definitions, like that's something that can happen. And a lot of other things. I'm under representing that project. It's incredibly powerful. Um, even Code Stubs, if you want to, in multiple languages, it's, uh, it's a really good project. Yeah, so those things... Kinda- yeah, it's kind of interesting that the GraphQL is it's nothing new and very new at the same time. Like it does like mm-hmm. it's built on a kind of well-established con- concept. There's like nothing new that you can query some sort of a database or other service and combine it and return it to the front end. Nothing new about that. Nothing new about the graph, nothing new about federation because you can do federated services and it's been around forever. But it's new at the same time. It's been used in like in different ways and uh I recently seen somebody talking about, well, Node.js and GraphQL is not, and JavaScript is not good at uh, tree parsing. It's not good at uh, multi-threading. It's not good at a schema like types. And at the same time, GraphQL is like the most popular thing in the, in the JavaScript community. It's weird. That is pretty strange. But, you know, look, I mean, every argument I think has uh, a home somewhere, but the part, one of the things, and we'll talk about this in a little bit is you know, when we're we're arguing for one technology or another, teaming starts to happen. And what I've noticed and something I think that's been holding GraphQL back is like the tendency for us as engineers to just say, like, look, I already know these other things really well. GraphQL or whatever you want to do has to meet or beat my current idea. Otherwise, I'm not interested. And um, so what happens is arguments on for one idea versus another are happen, happen outside of the domain of the thing. So for instance, instead of saying like, okay, I have a sub-second response requirement or SLA requirement on my service, GraphQL isn't a fit for me because of that, because there's, you know, especially for federation, because we know there's going to be a hop that adds latency. Therefore, we cannot do it. Instead, you know, what I would, you know, what I try to encourage folks to do is how do you make it more performant? So argue from within the boundaries of the, the constraints instead of from outside of the boundaries of the constraints. Because what ends up happening is you would get into this kind of deadlock in decision making where you're trying to make progress towards whatever it is you're trying to do with GraphQL. 
or what you could do with GraphQL and you know the people you depend on to participate in the the, the evolution of the platform. We can get right. Yeah, it's all yeah, it's all about trade-offs. Like if you really want to get as fast as possible, you got to be closer to the metal and just develop an assembly or something, right? So it's right. it's all it's all trade-offs and there's a delicate balance it's like mm-hmm. how fast you want to get versus how productive your engineers should be how uh, fast you want to be like time to market so there's there's a lot of components not just like sub-second response yeah yeah uh, pr- completely agree and that's something i wish more people would come to the table with you know when we're having these conversations it's like kind of like hey you know, help us innovate here, you know, instead of saying like why something can't do a certain thing, like let's talk about how we can make this possible. All right. Yeah, I also have heard uh, the last point I want to make is that there's uh, a lot of misconception I've heard that GraphQL is only for JavaScript, only for Node.js. Mm. And I see a lot of like the, the, the backend platform engineers are pretty opposed or like skeptical about GraphQL because it's all it's just a toy for JavaScript developers. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's just a runtime, right? It can be implemented in Java and, and Go and, and Rails or Ruby rather. Uh, so pretty much any language, you can just do it because it's a, what is it called? It's not a concept. It's a spec. Yeah, it's a spec, yeah. Yeah, it's a specification. So it's, so it's not only for front engineers, it's not only for UI, it can be used in many different ways. So mm-hmm. I wish more backend platform engineers would be kind of look deeper into GraphQL and understand it better before being kind of skeptical. And like you said, we cannot just say we cannot do it. Mm -hmm. So this year's summit was broken. It was over two days. So it was um, April 7th, April 8th. This is 2021. And it was uh, branded as a GraphQL summit worldwide and GraphQL summit. And I believe the motivation there was that GraphQL Summit Worldwide was more for like folks that are kind of boots on the ground. They got their hands on, you know, day to day working with Graph. Maybe they're looking for more local development ergonomics, especially with Graph Federation, which is a pretty, it's very, uh, very cool design paradigm um, that I've been really grateful to be a part of. And then like what Apollo is doing to continue to enable engineers to be successful with not only building their GraphQL services, but introducing them into this federation of other graph APIs and going through like, you know, schema check, schema publish, those types of things, working with your schema registry, how to create entities, extending types across different services. Um, So a lot of that was on the 7th, but I participated on the 8th on the GraphQL Summit scale to, because I'm I'm kind of part of, uh, I guess it's like a committee of folks kind of talking about, you know, where GraphQL is going and you know, what are the challenges that enterprise faces largely with adopting GraphQL, especially if you're, you know, a company that's been around for a while, you have a bunch of tech kind of laying around if you want to kind of, and you have engineers with an existing practice, you know, what are the effects of, and what does it mean to take on GraphQL for, for a company? And that was largely what I wanted to talk about for Graph Summit scale, because I feel really good about our implementation but I think the change man- management part has been bugging me a lot because I don't feel like we fully unlocked like the real um, enablement factors that GraphQL can give you, like feature emergence, really good API management long-term, um, the extension from one service to another, the topology, you know, movement from your backend services. Like you can change things behind the scenes without affecting a client adversely. I mean, you can catch a, a production issues at build time instead of in production, like if you remove a field that wasn't even, or even like deep APM, like if I write a query, which service is slowing me down and where and giving good feedback there. So there's so much yet that we haven't yet fully realized. But again, to your point earlier, it's a little old in technology standards, but it's still very, very young when it comes to adoption and usage. So uh, did you have anything else before we kind of get into... Um, Kind of maybe peel no, up the deck. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little familiar with uh, with the whole process of getting uh, federation kind of introduced uh, in a company. So yeah, uh, let's let's go. Um, cool. So I'll go ahead. I've got it here. So the name of the talk was. I got to tell you, like working with the folks at Apollo, they just try to make everything as easy as possible for you. Let me see. I'm going to present. I'm going to share. And, and for those who 
who just listen for audio, um, you can you can go to uh, YouTube. We're going to publish it as a video so you can check out the slides, but you should be able to follow along with audio only. Since yeah, we're I'm just going to be talking about GraphQL in general as a concept. I'm going to do my best here to not, because you know me, I'm always making like uh, speaking slides. Cool. So the big part of this deck, the reason for this deck or the, the thing that people, you know, I expected people to walk away from. And these are really like, like, these are things that I've been chewing on for a while and may, you may or may not like have experienced this, Alex, but you know, if teams are looking to adopt GraphQL for the first time, like, what does it actually mean? Cause as you know, it's more than just putting uh, running GraphQL, right? Like there's a design requirements necessary. There are conversations, there's working patterns that are going to change. Companies looking to bring GraphQL to the organization for the first time, or maybe, you know, projects that are just stuck. This I thought was always something like, I always feel like I'm moving a little bit, but then I get stuck on something different. And what I mean by that is how much closer am I we getting to the real vision, like realizing the full enablement of GraphQL, using types and connections, using entities the way they were intended to be used, you know, that kind of thing. So when at this point, when the, a company considers GraphQL, are there any alternatives? Because usually when you propose a solution, a new thing, right? Usually you have like this, this table of like, here's the alternatives and here's like all the, like the matrix of uh, pros and cons. Is there anything else available? If, uh, if, like, there, there not are. Not only GraphQL. There are. I mean, while there's actually a, a myriad of ways you can GraphQL. I mean, if you look at the guild and their projects, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, schema stitching, any way you want to kind of like assemble this. But uh, there's also RESTQL, which is kind of interesting, right? It's a project that exists. I'm sure there's there's some folks using it and um, I haven't like dove deep into it. But of course, man, like REST is fine. Like REST has principles. If you're well principled with traditional practice, you know, it's all good. It still runs most of the world, even though there's folks like, you know, doubling down on GraphQL, like uh, companies like Harness and, and GitHub, right? Like a lot of them are like GraphQL. Some of them are GraphQL only. What else is there? And they're not mutually exclusive. You can use REST and GraphQL. Oh, yeah. Because you have like, you, it's still on the UI in the front end. You're still going to make a few API endpoint uh, calls to to build the, the, the UI, right? So like, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that if you use GraphQL, everything else has to go. No, absolutely right, man. I mean, it's to taste. Like, you know, GraphQL says you get a single endpoint. There's a lot of enablement that comes with that. I mean, it's a, it can be a problem, but there, it's also highly enabling. For instance, that's where like Facebook's Relay front-end architecture really shines. When you have these code components that can represent not only the, the display and the structure of a, of a piece of content, but with GraphQL um, and you have like one entry point and queries like that, you can also start embedding the data requirements into a component. So it becomes really much more portable in that way. So there's there are ergonomics that are yet to be realized, I think. But you're right, like not everything, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be a kitchen sink. You can mix and match. You can there's it's it's really up to what the technology organization and the people working within it can maintain in a healthy way while maintaining some kind of momentum towards enhancing the customer experience. This is a slide about me, who cares? <laughs> I did include, Puppies. yeah, these are my pups, man. This little Moki and uh, little Wembley. But Wembley's actually a lot bigger now. Let me see. Oh, he's trying to sleep on my lap. Let me kind of bug him here. This is him now. Look at him, so man. quiet for a puppy. I know, he's so good. Yeah, he's like, what do you want? But he's a lot bigger now from uh, from this picture. But these guys are actually named after Fraggles from um, a Jim Henson show and with, uh, that my wife and I liked. So this stuff's only in here because, like, as part of the the deck, they said, you know, what uh, or something interesting about the speaker or something. I said I got puppies. So a little bit about Priceline. So, right, Alex, you were a part of this, a big part of this journey too. I mean, you know, we were mobile first. There's a kind of like a lot of interesting things here. But also, I think, you know, we were early adopters with GraphQL. I mean, how long ago do you think our first GraphQL service we put, put when we put Graph in production? I want to say probably like four years ago. It was probably 2016. 
Yeah, I think it was, I think like 2015, 2016 was when we put the first. And it was, what was pretty cool about that was um, it was like on one of the highest trafficked applications on the site. So we wanted to do a few things, but it was probably not a great first project. And well, you uh, learn, the, right? You do, that's right, man. You learn, you learn. There were, and, and actually, I'm still learning. You know, there's stuff even, even now, like it's mostly about change management. A lot of stuff that was talked about at the summit like is in this deck. Like we're all, what's really interesting is all enterprise is struggling like in a similar way with getting like, how do they fully unlock, you know, all the good stuff that GraphQL can provide. But the first thing is like getting through the implementation process, which a lot of folks get stuck on. This is just like a high level slide about, you know, what we're running currently in our stack and some stuff that we're looking at currently chewing on. So the, the big, disciplines we're working to improve is schema design and types and connections, the disambiguation of concerns across teams. And like, what that means is like, who's responsible for what? So we're still kind of like in this, oh, if I'm a back end or from a front end, like who's, who's creating what and where, but uh, really proud overall. I mean, we've done a lot of cool stuff, you know, with hybrid, you know, where we, we deal with on-prem and cloud services. We run in GKE, at least the gateway does primarily, we just implemented automatic persisted queries and persisted queries are incredibly powerful because instead of passing like an entire query document over the wire, which I've seen some as large as nine, 9k, which is pretty big for a request. And if it's like something that you want to be performed, because remember you're making, you're making selections off of a schema. So with persisted queries, what that does is it takes that, it takes that document and caches it server side. And you pass a key back and forth between from the client to the server and the variables that you'd like to plug into that query document. And so we've seen a reduction from like queries as large as 7K all the way down to like 600 bytes. So huge. Nice. And under, also realize what that puts get back in, in play, right? So remember, I think post was only used because query documents can exceed the, the constraints of using get. But if you're using persistent queries, it's a matter of, and assuming your content is safe, right? So you don't want to pass PII through variables through a query string parameter, by the way. And, uh, but, but yeah, if those constraints aren't there with a couple of variables and a hash now, instead of all those selections, you can get caching back, right? The way you, you wanted to before. There's some stuff that some companies are talking about doing, like flipping post forget, like on the edge, but I'm not. I'm not really comfortable with that. I think like that could lead to those, those magic bugs where you're like, why is this a problem? And, and then like eventually it's like, oh, it's because we're doing this thing on the edge. So. Yeah. And some to, to mix up some non-technical benefits since it's a podcast about leadership, some non-technical benefits of, of this federation from what I remember when uh, considering federation back in the day, this federated service will push, maybe force people to collaborate more. Because if you have schemas across different teams, across different products, and it, they all become like federated, uh, now you're almost forced to be consistent and resolve these conflicts. And the only way to resolve them is not programmatically, is actually collaborating with other people in the company. Mm -hmm. So that will kind of force people to be closer to each other, to talk more, collaborate more. Just one of the non-technical benefits. There are other kind of indirect benefits that you get from, from this uh, architecture. Absolutely right. And those are, those are definitely ideals that you know, we had going in. But the thing that I realized is, and that's actually a part of like the five, you know, the five lessons learned here, or you know, five, I guess, considerations, um, we'll, we'll mm -hmm. call them. Where that stemmed from is just like, here's, it's, if you're a technologist and you have expectations or ideals about the world after you've implemented something, if you're not already good at something and you're expecting the technology to push you in a direction to do it better, ugh, it might not actually work. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. it might even make it worse. And that's actually definitely something Hey buddy, definitely something uh, I think it's worth thinking about. And it's not that, you know, you can't figure it out. It's not like you can't get it done. You just really need, you really need to depend on everyone around you to start, like I said, like are, uh, buy it in, 
you know, drink the Kool-Aid and then everyone be on team GraphQL, right? Everyone has to be a part of it. And uh, you're right. If you can succeed in that, you'll get a new, you'll, from a leader's perspective, you'll get a new type of alignment that is very rare, I'd say, in an organization where you have most people wanting to work in silos, then you do want to take advantage of each other's work for the sake of enabling each other. I'm just going to put this guy yeah. down real quick. Yeah. So I guess the point is that you don't want to solve people problem with GraphQL. So like if people don't want to collaborate <laughs> with each other, like don't don't like just introduce GraphQL in Federation just so you can solve this problem. Of course not. But it's just one of the good side effects of uh, like any change. There's going to be some side effects, right? Mm -hmm. Good and bad. In this case, this is just one of the side effects is that if you want to do federated schema, that means there should be no conflicts in the schema. It shouldn't be two fields named the same, right? Mm -hmm. So, and to resolve that, you'll have to figure out in that case, in the previous slide, you had different products like rental cars and flights and hotels. So hotels and let's say rental cars cannot name airport or a location or a city in a different way. It has to match. And if they're different, now these teams are, well, they will have to talk to each other to figure it out. Otherwise it's just not, not gonna work. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's actually, it can get even more confusing because let's say you're in an organization where you have many ways of describing, like saying the same thing. For instance, the term price, right? Is it an all-inclusive price? Is like meaning like, does it include taxes and fees or whatever? Is it tax exclusive? And those are, those are conversations you have to have like at the organizational level, like, especially if you're talking about fields and values, if you're working in a silo, like for instance, if you have one type of content you work against and you understand price within that context and you switch to another product, price could mean something completely different. And in this unified graph world that is being pitched by a federation, that's where things get really interesting is you start to what we call internally is homogenizing the language that we use to describe our data. Lots of those things start to, to emerge. Yeah, also there's a, I think there's a, a way to annotate your schema. So when you browse and, and discover the schema through the UI or otherwise, you can see the comments and you can understand what that field represents versus mm -hmm. like if you do like just rest call, you just have, all you have is just JSON, right? There are no, there is no context, additional context that you can understand which price is it. Like, is there like an additional price? Mm -hmm. Is there an additional call I need to make? Where in, in graph, it's a, it's a bit more of a exploratory. It's self-documenting, I would yeah. I would actually, I mean, a lot of it is, but there's also, you have to still be deliberate. Like with practicing with GraphQL, again, that's not something, and you know this, this isn't something you get for free. For instance, I've seen graph implementations where there were no nullability requirements put on arguments in a field. Anyways, like, kind of a little bit higher level, if you are going to add those annotations, like somebody actually has to still write that, right? You still have to be deliberate. And even though you have the schema, which a lot of times can be very self-documenting and revealing about the capabilities of a service. But if you're going to tell someone like, hey, this is going to be deprecated, or here's how you use this field, or here's the what it's associated with, you still have to take the time to say, at whatever, applying the directive and then filling in that content or adding a comment or what have you. Yeah, I think we can say it's, it's an enabling constraint. There's yeah. a way to do it, right? There's a way to do it and there's a possibility, don't, but don't expect to just throw GraphQL and it's gonna solve all your documentation problem just because it, it exists. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I like that. So the first one was graphing for the right reasons and you and I, we kind of talked about this already I want to try to ask your opinion on some of this stuff too. Back end for front end, like what's your thoughts on that pattern? Like anything else, it depends. Um, in most cases, it makes a lot of sense to have it because you have better control over your backend, your API. Mm -hmm. But in case of federation, that I think it, it has both best of the bo both worlds. You still have, you can have your own schema. You can still be in charge of your own API and at the same time, take advantage of what other teams have created. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it depends on, on the use case, but for majority of use cases, if it's a, like a very isolated small product, maybe internal product that's very specialized and doesn't depend on a lot of the external services, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Like why would you be part of some mono repo or bigger service that you don't have 
full control over, that's you're gonna lose some some productivity there. So there's a balance, but federation, I feel like it provides the best of the both worlds. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree because it has governing constraints around the schema. And as long as you have that, like people can mix match and, and do what they want because it's safe. And there's, and Apollo has, and I'm getting in the weeds again here, but part of the enablement comes from the, the schema registry. And what Apollo can do for you is do like a 30 day retrospective or like say like in, over the last 30 days, here are the fields that were selected off of the graph. And if I change something about any of those fields that have been selected, I can reject that build right away. So yeah, absolutely. So if I'm even extending another service's capabilities with my own GraphQL server, I have the schema registry in place to protect that integration point. So it's, you know, you have some contracts and protection um, between those things because it can get messy. Now I mentioned backend for front end here because backend for front end and humans have a problem with scaling sometimes. And for me and for my money, I want to get, I want as few application touch points as possible between the data and the interface. Why? Because if I have data, new data computed and stored somewhere, and then I make it available for some kind of client to consume and put in front of the customer, I don't want to have to update like three or four applications just to get that thing, marshal it away all the way up to the front end where it needs to be. And that's where BFF can kind of get a little bit clumsy, especially if you're scaling out a lot of clients. So for instance, if you have a centralized API somewhere and a new data node, data point becomes available, depending on how the BF backend for frontend was implemented, all your frontend teams now need to update their backend for frontend APIs before then they can start coding against that new data on their client. And I just don't, I think that's cruft in my opinion. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. And I think that's also something that Federation speaks to. To your point again, it enables you to customize things, right? Via your own schema and extensions and kind of creating your own types if you wanted to, but not also have to deal with the overhead of marshalling new content along to your application tier as it's becoming available by a backing service. Yeah, that reputation, like if you have to go and update multiple services, with the same change update that also creates not only uh, productivity issues and velocity, but also room for mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like if you copy paste or whatever and deploy it and it gets merged with other changes and gets deployed, who knows when there's a chance there's something's going to happen. Yeah, man. And look, I mean, if you're, if we're talking about moving fast, like, Oh, and then if you want to deprecate a thing, you have to unwind it across everything. And it's so expensive. So what's happening literally with, not literally, maybe, maybe. I'm not going to say that all B, I think BFF is still a good pattern. It's fine. It's about maybe for like a few implementations. And if, hey, look, if your culture is is additive and just additive and you never need to take anything away, but slowly but surely things are getting more and more codified and more and more difficult to change. And it's happening right right below us. And that's why I think still think that Graph Federation or GraphQL in general is still a really strong uh, choice to kind of sit in there to say like, here's the contract. This is the data. This is what it's going to look like. Anything can happen in front of it and anything can happen behind it, right? And then in that way, you also are, because it's uh, declarative from a selection set, you can then tell people who's building the back end who's selecting what. And you can track those people down. You can ask them to make changes. And you can even send them signals through the graph into their IDE in some cases that a change yeah. might be necessary, right? You can even break builds. I mean, you could do, there's so much, so much you could do, like kind of talking back from the client into the API. Yeah, that's um, another thing is uh, tooling is, is getting much, much better uh, mm-hmm. for GraphQL. And I think Apollo as a company, uh, contributes a lot to to that ecosystem, which mm-hmm. is awesome. So uh, talking about types and connections, I love that. Like when I talk about feature emergence and types and connections, whenever I'm thinking about a schema or when one of my teams are thinking about designing a schema, I try to ask them to do like what's called like a, like a plus one. So the Moon Highway, I'll plug them here because they're a very generous organization. And if you're interested in GraphQL education, 
I would recommend checking out Moon Highway. I think they're still around doing uh, seminars. I think they're doing them remotely. They have this really cool program that they ran for me once. They did, what was it? It was uh, GraphQL for Everyone, I think was the name of the program. And it was great because if you have product people, designers, engineers, front end, back end, whatever, just kind of getting a sense for what GraphQL is there for, it's a great starting course. But they also have, uh, they're also the authors of the O'Reilly book on GraphQL. And something they talk about in, in there is um, bi-directional connections in your, in your graph. What that means is, and that's what, what you can't see the slide, I'm sorry, but what I have here is like a picture of a hotel and it points to a hotel review. But there's also an interesting thing is what if the review, an individual review can point back to the hotel that it was authored. So um, that's when feature emergence can become available, even though it wasn't asked for immediately. And if it was a capability, you can put in your seed into your graph right away. If there's a product person as part of your software development lifecycle said, you know what, as part of my customer profile, can we say like what reviews they left and for what hotel? Yeah, you can. You can because the shape of the graph allows for that to happen. And so that's what like where feature emergence can be can become possible because the it's less about going out and building custom services to tell each and every single story. You're now just talking about types and connections which can enable, right? Enable these features to happen more naturally, right? Just through the language of the shape of your schema. Yeah, these are new kind of connections that you may or may not be aware of kind of happening automatically. Yeah. You can see the same thing in, in Rome research, right? And in, the, in these note taking tools, bi-directional linking. Yes. How do you find new connections and all the connections that you may not be aware of uh, and kind of find the new pathways and build more and more knowledge? So same thing here, right? For product people, they can, they can find uh, some new connections and innovate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, it starts to become like the first question. Like if your schema is set up pretty good, it's like, as a, if I'm a product person and be like, Hey, you know, can we do this? And the, where do you go first? Let's look at the API. Let's look at our graph. Let's see if those connections already exist. And if they do, we can go, like we can just start coding. And it's, uh, it's just, it's, in my opinion, like this is the vision. Like the, I don't even know if this is even making sense to the people listening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's uh, like, if you go back to the, the the first principles of software engineering, right? Like, why do you need software to enable the business mm, mm. and to create new opportunities for the business? And this is it. You're creating an opportunity for the business that the business may not know that they will need in the future. So you're kind of two steps ahead of the business and product in this case. So you're creating these connections and pathways and schema and graph that may or may not be needed, but it's there for product to find new creative ways to provide more value to the users. Yeah, man. I wanted to talk about your first kind of break-in project. I think the if you're putting a POC together or you're starting to introduce graph for enterprise for the first time, I think there was some lessons learned. Like I thought the first implementation would be like, let's just make it the same as the RESTful service and make the interface the same. I mean, very classical API migration. Um, I was I went through dozens of them in my career. So it kind of makes sense that I would have ended up like with that as my POC. Hindsight, I think that's wrong. Largely, I think it's mostly important to exercise GraphQL and the merits of GraphQL. So forego trying to make something fit with something that already exists. It's probably better to fork maybe and to exercise some of the things with graph. Like if you can connect to a persistent appliance, like a database, try it. It's gonna stretch data loaders and some other things. If you can do something with schema design, like talk to a client first and then do like work client first to put, put a schema together, um, do it. Like, so start like out. So with those constraints, you probably wanna start pretty small, one kind of small feature. And then, you know, don't get distracted by what the world might look like right now. Yeah. I mean, that's largely what a lot of these are inspired by is exercise GraphQL on the merits of what it should help, how it should enable an organization and try to test on the people stuff a little bit, you know, maybe put a triad around the first project where you have a backend person, a front end person and a product person working together to design a schema and implement, you know, like the first POC. 
And then those folks can talk about what they think, you know, would be required um, long-term to scale it out to the rest of the organization, like some kind of seed, because there's a design practice when it comes to drafting a schema, right? And if you're going to do federation, you need some folks that are available to kind of wire all that up for you, because it's pretty expensive to get it up and running. You know, you got your pipeline to address. There's just a lot of details that um, you need to uh, contend with. Local development, that can be tricky. So um, I see. So so you mean don't try to boil the ocean right away. Mm. Find a, a good problem that can be solved, like specific problem that can be solved with GraphQL on a smaller scale, test it out with a group of people that can kind of collaborate with you and then see how that can be scaled into something like Federation. Yeah, absolutely. But exercise GraphQL on the merits of GraphQL. Choose clients, you know, choose a client, work with, you know, client SDKs or, you know, drivers that'll help you connect to a GraphQL API, struggle with those things, learn how to manage query documents in your app. Because all those things, it challenges everyone. You know, it challenges the client to learn how to read like something like Playground or if you have access to something really cool like Apollo Studio. You think everyone has to learn that stuff. So you get at least a, a little bit of each of it. So you get a sense of how expensive or how feasible it might be to roll it out to the rest of your organization or your technical community. Yeah, and it's like any change management. I think we had a podcast on change management. It's like it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult, and it's almost like uh, your virus and uh, immune system will attack you. Will try to kill you. <laughs> so you 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 want to start small and you kind of make your way and and establish. So it's gonna take it's gonna be an effort, and it's not it's not gonna be easy. So yeah, I agree. Okay, so the. Uh, I'm going to try to speed up to the next three here. So center of excellence. So if um, there's this great document that Apollo put out called the principled graph, and a lot of that came out with the original, I think it came out with the original Federation stuff. But um, I think it's important, like like the 12-factor document, it's great principles for container applications in the cloud. The federated, the principled graph, I think it fits, I would say fits right in line with with that. Everything in there. If you practice the things that are, are in there, it will get you going. I mean, there's some stuff that's a little ambiguous as to like, where's the business layer and where are the other things? Um, like who's calling who and what? And that, like, I think it's like in the later principles, but overall it's one of the things they say is they they discuss what's called the graph. Oh, actually they don't, I don't think they mentioned the graph champion and the principal graph. That was last year's graph summit was when the graph champion as a role in an organization came about. And the well, graph that, that can be applied to any change, big change, it, right? So you wanna have right. some sort of a, a supporter, a, a champion, an advocate, yeah, to who, who's gonna drive this thing and oversee it and, and support it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, well, the difference here is it's, it's not the same as, you don't have like a REST champion. Maybe you should, you know? There's no like REST QL champion. You know, we don't have those. But what we've done is we've built what, like a center of excellence. So we have like a, a doc, we spent the time documenting a lot of the practices and schema, schema design, why you might care about GraphQL, you know, the common arguments about overfetching, underfetching, that kind of thing, and showing examples of how those things might work. But um, if you're doing enterprise stuff with Graph, then having at least, I would say at least three people, which is still lean, but you need a hybrid of folks. You need um, people that understand what it means to be a client. You need people that understand server-side development. And you need folks, some folks that understand operations, right? How they're running the cloud, continuous integration, tooling, wiring all those things up. It's, uh, it's pretty important. So, and also local dev, people that can build tooling to help engineers out. Like for us, we actually have a command line um, tool that we've built internally that will actually interact with um, an image that, is responsible for doing schema valid validation. You can also pull our graph gateway down and work on it locally. So there's, but we had to build all that stuff. So you need people to take care of that. Um, you need folks that help provide onboarding people into GraphQL and, and its mindset, keepers of the vision. You know, if you have a design target you're trying to go, or if you're trying to help more people understand what good schema design can, can provide you, you need folks talking about that. And um, encouraging collaboration, keeping the tools up to date, keeping your security profile in mint condition, 
all those things need careful attention. And then even if there's like new ways of federating a service, I mean, in our case, you know, we're doing graph federation, which is, has um, a lot of complexity to it. But let's say for instance, you have somebody has a gRPC endpoint and they want to federate their gRPC service without creating another GraphQL thing. How do we wire that up? And maybe you want to use GraphQL mesh or, you know, something like that to, uh, what was the other one that came out that was kind of interesting? Rejoiner. Rejoiner was actually, I think it's an abandoned project now. I don't think it's being maintained anymore, but these are all neat little projects that, you know, require, hey, if someone wants to use it, does it fit in our pattern? Can we support it? Can we federate it? Like we've had challenges with federating Java stuff. We had to like do a lot of our own coding to do that. So anyways, that's a lot of what your graph group or your graph product, really. I think your GraphQL API or integration, anyone like working on it should be a product or treated like a product. Agree. Another like, like big blocker is just the, you know, what we're talking about the very beginning of our conversation here was, you know, just the arguments that come up around to graph or not to graph. Um, these were just some of them. We talked about sub second introducing hops, you know, oh, things not to get stuck on. Yeah. So if you have a technical constraint, try to have that conversation within context of GraphQL. Don't argue outside of the context of GraphQL. It's how do we make GraphQL do this and work on that. Don't say because it doesn't do a thing, we can't do it. Because all you're going to do is you're going to hold the organization back. That's what we're doing. We're selfishly holding the organization back for not engaging, right? Because if the organization agrees and you're moving in that direction, like be wind in the sail. Don't be an anchor, you know? Like help propel the thing forward and innovate. There's so much opportunity in graph. I bet you would agree, Alex, right? There's really so many things that haven't even been done yet. Uh, and things that we're still discovering, uh, and hopefully we'll have some conversations next week about, that people are doing with GraphQL. Yeah. Hack budget. Oh, yeah. So if something feels hacky, I would recommend maybe buy those sparingly because even Apollo, they change their stuff changes all the time. I mean, right, if you look at Apollo client, it went from statement all in state management to not all in state management. So folks had to refactor out of there, but we know that group, right? We worked with them when we, we worked with the Meteor framework and mm -hmm. they went from, uh, they changed like one version increment. We had to rewrite the entire front end almost. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the rate of innovation, right? That's, you can you can complain it or you can be happy that it's happening because otherwise, how would you innovate and create something new that's better, faster and more productive? Mm -hmm. It just has to happen. The fifth thing here is about including your pe including people in the decision making process, and again, like it's change management. That was like the theme this year. Was aside from a lot of neat advancements like Workbench, and I'll let folks kind of Google around on their own for the for those things if they're interested. But um, the kind of you can draw a line through the conference. Like what the message is is that change management is hard, and getting organizations over the line with um, you know a, adoption to the point where the people that kind of discovered or had the vision before the vision is fully realized and understood in a large enough saturation of the organization, but including the people in the early, 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 early phases and getting people on board just seeds ownership earlier on in the process so that later on it might become easier, you know? So things we've talked about this, like building an army. So if you're an enterprise, you're trying to make change or do some kind of transformation technically, talk to the people around you first, then talk to their managers, then talk to their managers, and then do a presentation for the CTO, right? At that point, most people should be on board. Find places where Graph would create an enabling story, right? Enablement means how did we do something that felt more ergonomic? You know, you ever like, you ever use something for a while and then something about it changed and it just felt easier and you felt like there was like this, you know, weight off your shoulders and you just felt more enabled, like find that story, go work with those people and then have them talk about GraphQL, not you, right? You don't want the, you don't want to be the one, your, your graph champions being the only people talking about how GraphQL has enabled the company that's not a win, right? You want the organization talking about how GraphQL enables the company. 
Yeah, this is a people challenge, and it's going to be hard to solve it with with technology, just like we we talked about it a couple mm-hmm. minutes ago. So, solve it with yeah, people problem only can be solved by people with people. Yeah, that's right. The other thing here is, I think like sometimes leaders from the leadership perspective can help change management by talking more about how they expect people to behave around given initiatives. For instance, if you are running GraphQL and you're a CTO or a VP of engineering, whatever you are, director, and you have the attention of your organization, always talking about how important the vision is, also being actually connected with the vision, like understand it on the merits that are being portrayed and understand, take the time to understand like what can be possible. And if you're a leader, I mean, with that level of seniority in the on, in your organization and you're constantly kind of reminding people about here's where we're going, here's what's going to happen once we're there, here's what I expect you to do and how you can contribute, here's how you're rewarded or here's how the company is rewarded based on this behavior. Um, then uh, that can be tremendously helpful for small, small groups of people trying to go through what is usually a very complicated, messy practice and tra- uh, transformation and practice of uh, software development. Yeah, well, it also it, it also depends on on the organization and the company. Some companies are more top down, and some companies are more kind of driven by like the people working on the ground. So so that also depends. So the change management doesn't always necessarily happen through the leadership. It can happen kind of in, uh, sideways. T- teams, engineers influence other engineers and there's like a spiral effect from there. The more momentum you get and the change just happens without leadership involvement. Yeah, if you're, I'd count, you'd be very fortunate to be in a situation like that, I think. Well, it, possible. It, there are a few sides of the story. It can be very good or it can be that productive because you're going to have to have way more meetings, way more conversations, way more disagreements, and it may take uh, way longer to, to, to make that happen. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for regrouping on the Graph Summit this year. It was a lot of fun. Looking forward to the next one, obviously. Yeah, yeah, good, good stuff. Yeah, it's very important. The change management, GraphQL in general. Yeah, I know it's getting more momentum, more companies, bigger companies adopting GraphQL. So I know it's going to be helpful for people. So yeah, go check out uh, John's talk on Apollo Summit website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm we'll not publish sure it. if it's up yet, but I think they've been putting stuff up. It is, it. yeah, I, I looked at it. It's, oh, great. You can, you can watch it on demand. Awesome. I think cool. you're gonna, you'll have to pay some money. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Thanks everyone for listening. See you. Thanks for tuning into the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. If you found this conversation interesting or helpful, we would appreciate your feedback. If you want even more content like what you just heard, check out pragmaticlead.com. If you have a story to tell, send an email to pragmaticlead at gmail.com and someone will be in touch. Thanks again.